0: Welcome back to Recorded Conversations, the podcast that's dedicated to compassionately considering all perspectives while engaging in authentic, connected dialogue. I'm Danielle Kingstrom. One of the reasons I like to talk about mindfulness and the practice of the presence is because I know that the benefits of living into that practice can impact our erotic self. Mindfulness and open-mindedness actually go hand in hand. The two are an incredibly intoxicating dynamic that can fuel desire and actually lead to sexual arousal. It's a process that requires a shift in view. We must put on an erotic lens in order to understand eroticism. One of the most foundational attributes of eroticism is the idea of the nature of goodness. Our bodies are good, our desires are good, and sex is good. When we can come into this sort of understanding, sexual anxiety can begin to dissipate. Almost half of all women experience sexual anxiety and sexual frustration. Arousal nonconcordance is impacting women seriously. Dr. Emily Nagoski and Dr. Lori Brado, along with a plenitude of other researchers, clinical psychologists, and sex therapists, have come to embrace the importance of mindfulness or practicing presence. The overwhelming new research that continues to come out shows that mindfulness helps women reconnect with their erotic selves and can help fuel sexual desire and increase sexual arousal. I believe my next guest is one of many who can help you get to that point if that's what you're seeking. And that's a level of mindfulness that ultimately will benefit you erotically. Christina is a healing and life coach. She transformed her own mindset and learned how to provide for herself in such a way that it's magnetic. I've learned so much from her since I've come to know her and I continue to be inspired by her. She has such a positive outlook on life. She practices practical hope. She embraces the reality of the nature of goodness, and I just think she's someone you might want to connect with. She has a sense of freedom that you you can't fake, and in a world full of superficial surface presentations of inauthentic demonstrations, she's a breath of fresh air. She's refreshing. She has a no-fuss mentality, her attitude is open and welcoming, and I really just love her, and I I can't say enough about her in the positive light. Christina has been a guest on the show in the past, but I wanted to bring her back so that she could share what she has been learning and understanding about the world. Today we dig into discussions that cover the importance of movement in freeing body memory. I dig into her mantra about practical hope and she explains that it's a belief in good things, knowing and believing that we can choose good things for ourselves and why that actually liberates us from the constructs that hold us back. We then get into a discussion about beauty, acceptance of body, and what surface beauty is and is not. I really had a great time sharing this conversation, sharing this space with Christina and I think you're gonna like it too. And you can check out her YouTube video and find her on Facebook by the same name. So listeners, I ask you to compassionately consider the perspective of Christina Choi. Enjoy the episode. The, the first reason I reached out to you is because just through what I had been learning about embodying eroticism and as I had been working with clients, motion and energy and feelings being trapped in the body just kept popping up everywhere. And I was yeah. like, there's really something to this and there actually is a science to it. And yeah. the, the most repetitive um, statement has been that our emotions become trapped in our body. When that happens, it impacts mind, body, soul. And we have to figure out a way to conjure those feelings out in a healthy way so that we can be more liberated and so that we can learn to surrender because eroticism is about surrender. So many people struggle with surrender. I mean, myself included. I had just come to understand that as I was feeling trapped in my own emotions and everything that I was working through, I started dancing more. And it just made me go, Christina, the dancing. (laughs) And... um. I know that you've been on a journey in a process of healing too, and you've used dance. And we kind of talked about it a little bit when you were on last time, but there was just so much um, that was just stripping down underneath dance and through tradition and history and early civilization and how important dance was. And so I wanted to jump into there, um, but there's also the video you did on Practical Hope that is actually... Something I want to talk about first and then go back to the dance because I just thought that was really beautiful. And I just wanted to preface this with things I had been observing in my own life. And it's a complete aside, but it's about you and just the connection I have to you. I pay attention to weird things, astrology signs, names, um, and when I meet people and things I learn about them and how we're alike, how I can see myself in them. Or I can see a reflection of a struggle. And I just wanted to point out something really funny, um, and maybe you can relate to it. But so you are a Virgo, and right. Thank I. You have for a, yes, you yes, you are a Virgo. Christina's a Virgo, and I'm a Sagittarius. Not that that's relevant, but it's relevant to me because Virgos and I have a tumultuous history. And my sister, the one closest to me in age, is also a Virgo. I don't speak to her. Haven't in almost four years. My sister-in-law, her name is Christina. She is a Sagittarius. She is exactly like my sister in so many regards. And I struggle with both of them. And as I've been just learning about you and getting to know you through what you've presented for yourself, I can't help but see similarities. And I go, why do I like it in her? But I don't like it in them. And it was just, yeah, it's just one of those weird little things that I do. Like, like I said, I pay attention to weird little things and I can map them out and see how they're all related. But I just, I wanted to say, I appreciate that you're showing me a reflection of, of something that has irritated me in the past. And now I'm like, now it's beautiful. And
1: (laughs) (laughs) so Because I didn't used to like myself and now I do. So, you know, and I've had that happen with other people too. So I get it. It's it's an odd thing. It's like
0: when other people are willing to be vulnerable and share their healing stories, you're willing to look deeper into them. And then you realize that they reflect you, but they reflect all those little things that used to irritate you too. And you're, you're growing into this understanding of learning to hold it in tension. And I think that's how we see God in people, right? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So that practical hope thing really just so many things went off in my head when I was watching that video. And I'm just wondering if we can go back to it. And you're basically talking about um, your essential tenant for um, for for hope is that we must believe in good things.
1: It's a choice. Yeah. But that's yeah. what hope comes from. That's yeah. what hope is, the belief in what is good. And that, and that we're tapping into like a, a dynamic but immovable reality. And that's, part of why it's so powerful and why it's not about the future and it's something that's tangible that we can tap into in the present moment by our own choice. Which makes it feel much more, like, useful, I suppose, (laughs) like something practical, like, okay, that's something, I can practice this. This is a reality that I can experience for myself now. It's not about hoping for some distant utopia or for my life circumstances to get better or for everything to just disappear or click into place or, you know, hoping in some fairy tale, it's very tangible in the present moment. All you have to do. I mean, again, and um, for me, a lot of times hope has been looking out the window and, and watching this tree in front of my window here outside my bedroom, watching the light in it, uh, you know, as the days change and, and looking up, be able to see the blue sky and remember that good things still exist. Yeah. You know, it's like, that, and it's, um, yeah, there's. If you know if you've seen the movie The Count of Monte Cristo, and um, there's an old really? priest today. It. It's a great movie, Jim Caviezel. It's a little older, um, but I like the- that
0: actor. I know that actor. Yeah. He does good stuff.
1: <laughs> a really really good movie, um, and it's a it's a a pretty easy, easy to digest retelling of a book that's very long and complex. But at one point, the, the man ends up innocently in this um, the d'If, which is this terrible prison, abusive prison um, off the coast of France. And he ends up uh, with this old priest who is digging his way out of the prison, classic story, and digs his way into the character's bedroom. And he's like, the only thing the priest wants is to be lifted up on his shoulder so he can see out the window because he hasn't seen the sky in so many years. Mm-hmm. You know, it, like to me, that is hope. It's like, I just want to see that that good thing is still there. Mm. I want to experience it for myself now. And then there's a sense of peace and of strength that we get Mm. that allows us to carry forward and to bring that goodness to fruition in our own lives.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's so important right now because I, I mean, I struggle with that alone. I don't know if you come up against this kind of resistance, but when you want to share that powerful information about the belief in goodness and about restructuring our ideas about the nature of goodness, everyone's like, but there's a million other reasons for us to be outraged and upset, and there's division, and there's oppression, and racism, and everything else, and I often am told that I am being colorblind and I am being, you know, I'm blind to suffering and it, you know, sometimes people go so far as go, that's a privilege to believe that way. And I'm like, it is, it's a consciousness p- privilege and everybody is welcome to it, you know, just get get to the flow of it. But it is a, it's a very, it's so difficult to share that information in Corona era. And so what, right. what are some of the things that you did? what are some methods and practices that you're sharing with your clients that are coming to you in this time? Are any of them going, are you kidding me? You want me to have this, this positive rainbows and sunshine? Like, who are you? What?
1: I'm really lucky, honestly. And and this is one of the reasons I love working with people I work with, but to kind of back up a lot of times what I tell people is all my job is I'm presenting you with information. I'm telling you about how reality works. You get to decide what you do with it. I'm not invested in your choices or your choices. But part of that is, again, I'm lucky because the people that are coming to me are struggling so much with their, they're kind of crumbling under the weight of their own, sorry, there's music coming from somewhere. They're crumbling under the weight of their own illness. That's caused by an over Mm -hmm. overly negative perspective of everything that has made them physically and, and emotionally ill. And they know, it, it becomes very obvious when you let the weight of the world in and it crushes your spirit and makes you incapable of adding good to the world, that that focusing on the negative isn't going to help anybody. Mm-hmm. And, part of, and this is my, the part of it is, I think, um, I, honestly, this is my firm belief and I want, I want to study this more because it's just a matter of observation and anecdote at this point, but it, I really believe it's true. I think, again, because of the different brain structure between men and women a lot of times the, what I've observed, cause I just like to study men and women and their differences. Like one of my biggest passions is helping to create a bridge between the feminine and the masculine so we can understand each other better and create mm. peace because we are complementary, but because we both tend to get stuck in pointing fingers at the other side and not be, being willing to get out of our own way and hear, okay, how do you experience truth? How do you experience beauty? How do you experience reality? And they just accept what they say as valid, even mm. though it may be opposite of how we experience it. Mm. My observation is this, Men tend to, uh, you know, men and women tend to be like, I'm going to phrase it this way. Men tend to be really good at the things women find difficult and vice Mm. versa.
0: Yeah.
1: And one thing men are really good at is, or, and and this is the thing, I'm going to phrase this as good at, it tends to be, you know, in terms of personal growth, their tendency overall, and this is a generalization, but overall, I see men tending to be more self-centered and and um, self-preserving in terms Mm. of they move towards comfort, they move towards pleasure, they move towards self-serving Um, then that can become kind of the, the dysfunction is because it goes too far in that direction. Mm -hmm. Women are exactly the, tend to put everyone else first and forget that we have needs and we're human and we need to like eat and sleep and enjoy our lives and be human beings. Um, so we need to go the other direction of being more self-serving and men tend to focus on, you know, men, they're automatically, they tend to not notice the suffering. I think because they're so self-focused for them, it's a, it's a great act, um, of courage and a great act of selflessness pardon my daughter, um, to, can we pause for a second?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Masculine, Masculine and feminine. feminine.
1: So yeah, so the feminine tends to um, sacrifice the self for others, which mm-hmm. puts us in a place where we become incapacitated for others, become bitter, angry, sick, in some way, very limited. And we become just a, a pit of suffering, <laughs> negativity, ultimately. <laughs> Um, and so they're very different in the perspective you've been given of, Oh, that's so privileged to, to, believe in good things from a masculine perspective. That would be, if you were a man, I could see how people, you know, from a masculine perspective, they're, they're going to say, Oh, well, you need to let go of your own, you know, you're being so selfish or so on, because if they were in your shoes, that would be a bad thing because mm-hmm. that's their tendency <laughs> yep. And for the act of courage is to look to others and to take care of others. For us, the act of courage is to say, for once I'm going to let go of control. And trust that God will take care of the people I love. And I'm gonna take care of myself because I know that focusing on good things will allow me to bring light and love into this world. Yeah. So, opposite. And so, part of so much, and this is part another passion of mine that I hope to do in my lifetime is to talk about feminine spirituality because so much of religion, because it's patriarchal, it, it, it puts this and one of the things too, that the masculine does. And again, I, I, it's a really good thing and I'm striving to have more of it for myself. (laughs) Um, It's not a bad thing, but because of the nature of it, men, um, they tend because they're very dualistic they're very grounded in, in this separation women are more universal overall generally speaking so yeah. men will you know, if they have an experience they automatically project their experience they have to have a tendency not all men but men tend to do this much more than women they project their experience on everyone else well this is how i experience reality then yeah. everyone else must do it so i write out this is how you should live because this is my experience of truth and that probably applies pretty well to a lot of other men but for women, we, we don't experience life that way and we don't experience God that way. And if we do what a man would do, because it's almost, it's kind of like this, like there's the center here and there's things go in one direction. So men are starting here, they're self-centered. They say, we need to go, you know, let's say, let's call it, you know, West. We need to go, this isn't even West, I'm pointing East, but we need to go West mm-hmm. in order to get to God. Women are already way too far West. We need to go East to get, like, we need to get to the center. We need to find the truth that's at the middle. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of times, a, the, a lot of patriarchal religion, causes an immense amount of suffering for women because it puts us way too far on the other side of things where we're completely depleted on every level. We become sick or we die, or you know, we just become very bitter and very angry. And there's just a lot of dysfunction that happens. Um, but that that, ab- that kind of the way that men project their truth and they just assume that everyone else experiences life the exact the way that they do. Women tend to be more curious overall what I've seen because they, they seem to understand mm-hmm. that different people experience life differently. Um, but that attitude is a very masculine attitude of like, because I experience life this way, you just need to do this, you know? And I've seen that too, when it comes to things like, it's similar things like weight and body, men will be like, oh, you just need to exercise and eat right. I'm like, you've never been a woman. You have no idea. Far from the truth. Women, like most women err on the side of dieting too much and exercising too much. And that's why we're overweight and sick (laughs) because we've depleted our bodies. Whereas for men, like actually need to like stop i don't know i don't really know what they do but they need to get up and exercise and and make that time for themselves and and be conscious and make different choices but it's like again it's projected as this absolute truth from the masculine that's just not it's not true yes
0: our most of our world views that we have had impressed upon us come from a masculine perspective and we do need to Move towards the feminine, I agree with you i've been i've been studying tantra, and Tantra is situated on you know one of the main um, beliefs is that God is the feminine is the feminine form, and that is why the feminine form was worshipped I mean, and the feminine form was miraculous. the feminine delivered life men couldn't do that. it was the automatic assumption, the one that creates life therefore must be worshiped. I mean, and I I agree with you. We have this patriarchal religion. It has, I think in so many regards, negatively influenced us, but those negatives we have been able to take as opportunities and to transcend them into something positive. I kind of see that's what you're doing here too
1: specifically geared towards like when you have people telling you that's such a selfish thing i see that as just the masculine projection of the way that they experience you know for for them that would be true but for us women we have to to block out the negativity and focus on positivity in order to bring something good to help the situation it's the most selfless thing we could do to turn away from it all focus on joy focus on love and be able to have a solution to offer people who are suffering
0: Yeah. You talk a lot about the present moment too, and that that's where that belief in goodness comes from. And it's not a futuristic um, plan. It's not something we get lost in, in the future. It's something for the now that I love how you, you, you said, we plant the seeds for the future, but in that present moment, we're planting the seeds and we're automatically shifting the soil of the, the future thoughts that will grow. I really appreciate that metaphor you built and, um, You had said, I like how you talk about that reality of goodness. And when I think about theological perspectives, there's that ideology of the nature of sin. And so much of how we've been influenced in this country comes from that nature of sin. And so everything is about good and evil, right and wrong. And so then we're constantly caught up in that lens of seeing two perspectives and the more we focus on the negative, which is, I think, what we're doing right now as a society and from the media standpoint is we're focusing too much on the bad. And it's like you you hear about these little, oh, something positive for your news feed. Look at this video. But you're like, you know that happens way more than all that bad stuff happens. And what we do is we just kind of overemphasize on the negative stuff. And we forget about the simple, really beautiful things that we do feel almost guilty about acknowledging because there's so much negativity.
1: It's so sad because how are we supposed to bring something good to the world if we're filling ourselves with negativity? It's impossible. Mm-hmm. There's no way if, if we are, I mean, we. Neg- you know, uh, what is it? garbage and garbage? In. I've heard so many ways it's phrased, but if you fill your mind, you are a conduit. If you fill yourself with garbage, that's all that you're going to have to offer. I mean, I know, I mean, again, and this is the thing though, a part of it is still that, I have heard a lot of times. It's a different perspective. I've heard a lot of men say, "When I'm in a funk, I just think about how it's worse for somebody else." As a woman, I know if I had that thought, the way my brain works, I would just feel more depressed. <laughs> I need to not look at the negativity. I need to turn around and look yeah. out the window, turn on my, so- you know, a favorite song and dance, or like, like go hug my child, or you know, look at how beautiful sweet potato is, or something, in order to help myself remember that reality as it's created is inherently good.
0: Yes. And-
1: try to participate in that goodness so that I can bring, so I can be a conduit for that. So I can put more of that good stuff into the world.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I, I liked how, what did you, you talked about the food. It's like food that we feed ourselves. Yeah. Um, it, well you talked about that more in the beauty, the, you are beautiful video. Um, but the idea that we're planting these seeds is to grow this, this food for us. And, um, The one thing that you talked about that I really liked, I want to just go back to about what we're putting in our minds, the garbage in, garbage out, is is we trap ourselves in a prison within our mind when we do this. And the funny thing is, is I, I get in this place where I'm like, but it's an intellectual prison, so... I'm going to justify it. And I've had other people justify the prisons they trap themselves in with. We do need to focus on the bad instead of focusing on the good. And it's a, it's a justice prison, right? So they're like, I am in here. I am trapped in this, but I'm doing it for this good cause. Right. Or I'm doing it for this intellectual cause. I feel like, I mean, I've, I know I've caught myself in, in that trap where I, I'm like, everything is meaningless everything is, is horrible. Like, what's the point? What's the point of me injecting more goodness, right? It's just going to be caught up in, in diluted in all of this crap. And so what is something, how would you, how would you reframe somebody's mentality like that? I mean, cause like I said, I've, I've fallen victim to this where I'm like, it's just all fucking meaningless. I just, I don't fucking care. I, and I will be like, I'm going to just disconnect from everything and everybody because if I don't I can't protect myself from the negativity, right? Because it becomes so burdensome. You can get over here and go, everything is glorious, but I'm exposed to the dark. And then I'm like, I can't see the light anymore. It
1: takes a lot of strength to keep that perspective of what is the good thing here. And I think part of that is, um, well, just to speak to the intellectual prison and, and so forth, one of the things I've realized because we do need people who are focused on solutions. But if you think about the way that focused on solutions, that's still focusing on the positive. You're looking at the problem in order to understand how can I provide a solution to it? Mm-hmm. That's still a positive mindset. You're not ignoring the problem, but you've got that faith in that, that possibility of goodness and the reality. It's part of what hope is. It's the belief in victory. It's a belief that, in, that ultimately, and this is my experience, joy is an inherently victorious state and all of life is a matter of participation. So we can participate in what is good and we can experience good things for ourselves. We can choose to believe in that. We can spread that to others who are suffering. Part of that is just, again, it comes back to believing in what is good. If you believe goodness is real and that we're worth worthy having it, then if you bring it into yourself, you've already brought a bit of heaven to earth in that moment. And then you have the ability to spread it to others who maybe need that. And they see you smile and they think, Oh my God, maybe, maybe the world's not ending. Someone smiled at me you know, or that someone posted something positive, maybe things aren't like, it's just that moment of like, you could be that for someone so many times in, in your life and not even realize it. So that part of that is understanding that um, it's be- starting to believe, believe that goodness is inherently, and the way I've seen this, the way I've seen it in an understanding and experience way is that again, goodness is like um, positive integers, like it's real. Negativity and evil is really just the twisting or the removal of something that is good. A lot of times it's the twisting of it, you know, and that's one thing I love that I got from Catholicism is that, you know, Satan can't create anything. He can just take what God did, God created that's beautiful and good and holy in every way and twist it. And kind of what we're doing by tapping directly into the source of goodness is we're, we're taking the, the true thing and putting it into the world. So people know that there's a point to being alive. And part of this too is for me, I, and my journey became obvious through my journey of, of healing. And, and again, to back this up with why I believe this, I believe in what works. I believe in what works to make me feel like a whole human being in the present moment. Who I'm not experiencing pain. I'm not experiencing dysfunction. I'm experiencing peace, well-being, love, joy, a desire to give to give those things to give peace, love, and joy to others. I believe in that. I believe in this. My physical state of well-being, and ultimately, what I came down what it came down to is the, the point of life is joy. That is the point is to be in joy in the present moment or in calm or in peace or in gratitude, but in some sort of positive state. And my, again, in my understanding, that is the very life of God. When we're tapping in because it's just participation in the moment you change your focus, you're tapping into that positivity. You're experiencing it for yourself. You're just opening yourself up to welcome God into you. And that experience of God is the whole point. That union with him is the point. this comes kind of ties back to eroticism. Union is the whole point of life. I was thinking about this recently. I was like, That's why people are so obsessed with sex. Like I didn't understand it my whole life because I'm not the biggest fan of sex in general um, itself, but the the experience that we're looking for in it of union and ecstasy, experiencing whatever we can of that, or the peace and the satisfaction that we're looking for in it. And again, it could be anything. It could be food. It could be sex. It could be work. It could be anything, but the peace, the satisfaction, the joy, the fulfillment that's found when we pursue joy for its own sake in the present moment, realizing that's the experience we're going after in all of these things that's the point. That's it. Mm, it is, And I can't start it, started, but that's the point of, of life as a whole. Okay. Yeah. Remember. So, so that's part of, you know, why, <laughs> why even bother, why, why bother caring? Why bother mm-hmm. choosing to believe in what's good when there's all this negativity, because that is the whole point is to have that sense of peace. We look at something that is real and good and beautiful. We feel it in our bodies or we can train our brains to open up to it, at least if, it, if we don't have the automatic sense. Um, and I didn't for a long time. Um, I felt, Triggered and and depressed at the at the when looking at the beauty before recovery, so I know what it's like to have that experience. I train myself to get there, but that's why because that is the whole point, and and part of it too is, um, I, I firmly believe it. If heaven is an eternal reality that doesn't isn't bound by time, we're welcoming heaven to earth in every moment we choose to let God in. Mm. And, and to me yeah. that's what 's Tantra like the way I've experienced what you described there for myself just to tie it back to that point um, I just had this profound feeling as I worked on surrendering so deeply and allowing God to fill my body on every level every moment of the day every day day and night and it's, it's like the most I mean I'm sure you know what I mean it's the most intense experience when you're bombarded by life situations and people who don't believe in you and all the negativity. And I mean, there's every reason not to, but I was like, no, this is my choice. I'm do. This is what I believe in. This is what I'm doing. I don't care about any, this is my life. I get to do with it what I want. And I believe in God. So I'm doing this. I believe in good things. And I, I had this moment when I was walking where I was like, I am heaven in a body. I felt yes. this profound, I am heaven in a body. And then when I thought about it. I was like, we literally bring human beings to this plane from God knows where, as women, that's what we do. That, that conception occurs in our bodies. We live to really bring heaven to earth in our bodies. So Ooh, we're coming back to love that. that. So we are heaven in a body. And I think, and that's why it's like, well, no wonder men like almost worship women's bodies. It's like, we are heaven in a body. In <laughs> and way. why they want to be in them. <laughs> right? no, yeah, exactly. No, it all makes sense when you look at it that way. Um, and that's really the deepest truth of it, in my opinion, but that's what we all can do in every moment That in every moment that we decide we can, and it, and it matters because that's the point of being alive. That's why it matters. Not mm-hmm. because we're proving anyone any, any because we're changing the world, but because that's what we're created for is that union. So when we tap into it, we're, we're tapping into the reason we exist.
0: Mm, I love that. You know, and something you said um, in your, sorry, I'm transitioning because yeah. um, so you said it's courageous to believe in good. And I thought that was really profound. And that was what kind of stemmed that thought where I was like, well, sometimes, but I justify that, you know, I don't always have to believe in God. And I, again, I just get caught up in that you hear a news story about something horrible happening and you're like, okay, I didn't really think that was even possible on that level. But the, the courageous part is, is definitely, something I see present in the teachings of Jesus too, in the way that he walked around and he was like, no, the kingdom is at hand. Like it's right here, you know? And that was courageous. And people are like, okay, hey, people are dying here of famine and we have this horrible Caesar and stealing our, and, but he's like, no, but it's right here. Look at it. And we forget to stop and look at the good and the beautiful. And then we forget what beautiful is. And you talked about how you had to discover that you were beautiful. And it made me think about this idea, Matt Kahn. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Um, I've heard of you. Yeah. He's, he speaks to this idea that when we see this, the shadow side of what love is not, it is evil forgetting that it is good. It is a a low is just a high that has forgotten itself. And, I took what you said as, you know, you had to remember that you were already beautiful. We have these, these lies of lack that inundate us. And it's just this forgetfulness of who we are. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) <laughs> I love that so much because I mean I'm with you I've struggled with accepting my body post baby especially I resented my body I failed to see what an incredible miracle it was that my body even did what it did and and you know didn't didn't explode right and <laughs> right <laughs> I have twins as well, but it was my first baby that wrecked me. Um, and I shouldn't blame her for wrecking. She didn't wreck my body. She made me realize how amazing my body was, but it took a long time. Um, but that was something that I just really appreciated, resonated with deeply. And I'm in the like same plane as you in this. I have put so much pressure on myself that m- what I present is beautiful needs to look like what the world has told me is beautiful. has. And yes. I'm like... Okay, but when the world sees what my husband sees, why do they see different things, right? My husband, for whatever reason, is like, I don't see stretch marks. I don't see that. And I'm like, how do you? It's right there, right? And it takes me back to that masculine-feminine differential, right? Because then I think about, can my husband tell me the difference between these two colors? Nope. They're the same color to him. (laughs) They're the same color. No, they're not, honey. This one is clearly lighter and has, but he will say it's the same damn color. He can't, but I think men see the world differently. And why don't we, we, we have this beautiful power to maybe see more detail, but those details can destroy us if we focus in on them.
1: Details to focus on though. We have the power to choose which details to focus on. Yeah. Yeah. You say that it was interesting because how I view my own body Okay, this is to sound crazy, but I'm dead serious. So before I had an eating disorder and a body image disorder and an exercise disorder like my whole life Um, up until uh, the last year or so, I've really, I think I've reached a level where I'm like, wow, that's like not a thing at all anymore. I was working on it for a long time, but it really clicked this year. Um, It was just, I mean, really it's the last like two months where I've been like, oh my God, this is what it's like to be a normal person. This is amazing. Um, But one (laughs) of the things that blows my mind is that my body looks smaller to me now when I look in the mirror than it did when I weighed... 20 to 30 pounds less than I do now because of the change in my brain. And one of the things I've done as I've described here is I've taken a lot of the good from the mask and perspective and I've wired it into my brain because I want that stability.
0: Mm.
1: I see what is good there. And I say, no, I I have a claim on that. That doesn't just belong to men. I can look at the world this way. I can be more dual. I can, I can decide, no, this is how I, this is, I am valid. My experience of life is valid. It's not everyone else's experience, but it's valid. You know, and just there's so many different ways, and I can't even, I would have to stop and think about it um, in order to figure it out. But I know that a lot of what I've done in the last years, I've worked on integrating my own masculine into my femininity. And in doing so, my perspective in like the last few months, since I don't have my own eating disorder anymore, body image, I look around and I'm like, this is why some men will say all women are beautiful. I'm like, I get it, and I see it. I couldn't, my whole life, I was like, what are they all talking about? <laughs> I don't get that. I can't yeah. understand beautiful. Um, but by knowing a couple of good men and changing my own brain and seeking to ask, like, what is it that they're seeing? What is it they're looking for? And taking the masculine, understanding where the mask is coming from. So I can understand what it's looking for in the feminine and understand what it's looking for in the feminine when it's in a survival state. And when it's in a not survival state, it sees very different things. Men who don't have solid, solid self-worth look for validation from the feminine. So they want the, the survival, whatever, the, perf, the perfection, you know, perfect body, all of that, all these things. And apparently what I've learned over time, you know, and just from studying and learning and and paying attention is that a man wants to see like the shadow side as a man, single woman as an extension of himself. So Mm. she needs to be all that because I need to prove that I'm, that I'm all that. And if I have a gorgeous woman, I'm clearly all that. That's the weird, I don't know. I don't understand. It It doesn't really make sense. I mean, neither does our, our kind of messed upness on our side. Yeah. Yeah. But all of a sudden I was like, Oh, and I started noticing that the men I know who are very, have a really strong sense of self-worth um, and self-respect, they, they don't look for the same, they, they look for very different qualities in women and they have a very different attitude about them than the men who are looking for validation or who have just been trained to believe that what matters is a hot body and that's it. Yeah. And maybe someone who is capable and can do a lot of work, you know? Yeah. And, and, and the survival can pop out babies, hot body, healthy. You can pop out babies. You can take care of them. That's the point. You know, that's on a survival level. That's what women are for yeah. on a spiritual level. That is not what women are for. Right. used. But because of the natural instinct, the masculine has to see everything as serving it. It's like, how can I use this? Everything is objectified. You know, nature is objectified. Women are object children. Everyone, everything is an object to be used. That's the survival kind of mindset of the masculine that I've noticed. And it makes sense that that's where that comes from. But a lot of times the survival, because we're trying to survive, we submit ourselves to that ideology and try to conform to it so that we can survive. And it's having mm. this radical, that our survival depends on God and not men that allows us to walk away from that yes. and move also saying, no, um, I'm, and this was the, when you were talking, I, I hit upon this belief in the last couple of weeks that is like embarrassing almost um, to say out loud because it sounds so simple, but it was like, I don't exist for the pleasure of men. No. That's not my point. And like, I don't even know that got put in there so early on in my life that I never realized that that was a program running in my mind that I exist to please men. And it was like, no, I exist to please God. Yeah, no, I exist to please God and God is who keeps me safe and I need some good men on my side. Like I need to know there's good men who protect me because I am physically and psychologically different and weaker in a certain way on a physical plane. I don't have as much testosterone, you know, but ultimately it's God I rely on. And mm-hmm. that was like, and God who I'm designed to please and so much freedom. I was like, I will never give a I'm never give a, a bleep about pleasing, like trying try to conform to that. And part mm-hmm. of it as a woman where heaven is, is I'm here to my hands, like I'm here to please myself. Yes. What do I want to do? What do I think is beautiful? Who am I? How can I accept myself? I value love. So I'm gonna love myself for who I am and just, be me and say, that's beautiful because it's real. That's what I believe.
0: Not only that, but it's (laughs) imitated then when we step into who we are and we embrace who we are and we embody everything about ourselves, we give off an energy that other people will want to imitate and they'll have to come to learn that that's what it takes. Like you are pleasing to yourself. You are beautiful to yourself. And when you can see it from within, well, there was something I when you were talking about um, the, the in the You Are Beautiful video, it made me think of something that I had read once. And so it said, though we travel the world over to find the beautiful, we must carry it with us or we find it not by Ralph Waldo Emerson. And that's so true. It's like once you can see the beauty inside, now you can see it everywhere. But yeah. only when you are willing, because otherwise we do get stuck in that dualistic mindset of, This is what is beautiful. This is what is not. Well, the reality is pretty soon when you get to that level of consciousness, everything is beautiful. Even the suffering is beautiful because that you get into that mindset where you realize that suffering is grace. Suffering is opportunity. Suffering is what leads to change and change is itself beautiful. But we reject that because that's not what this box says. That's not what this this post says that's not what this celebrity says that's not what this person said and that's not
1: what's that worshipped by people in society
0: yeah yeah and what are we doing worshipping this surface beauty without knowing that there's something beneath you talked about that too the surface beauty is is revealed but you know when you can't see the light under it it almost appears soulless i think you said something yeah. to that effect <laughs>
1: Part of it is, again, I think that exterior beauty is in a way, like our features are shaped and lit quite literally in a physical sense, but also because the truth is everything is energy. I mean, in quantum physics is what I'm talking about there. And a lot of times what people see when they look at you isn't your features as much as how you're lighting them up, depending on their perspective. I think that's probably the case majority of the time people who are really stuck in a very um, survival way of looking at things are only going to notice distinct features. They have trained and people who have who've been addicted to pornography and that sort of thing, you're trained to objectify. You're trained to pick apart, you're trained to look for only certain characteristics in a certain f- fashion that's what's beautiful, nothing else is. And people who see that way aren't going to see beyond. But again, trying to engage with those people is pretty pointless because they're very committed to their way of seeing things. <laughs> they're not, you know, you can't really get much from exchange from with that kind of person. Um, it's going to be a very limited survival negative kind of experience to engage with someone like that. But pe- most people who haven't had an addictive or obsessive pick apart kind of thing, whether it was a porn addiction or whether it was their own body image issues that caused them to pick themselves apart, people who are, you know, rep- averagely healthy are going to look at you and they're going to see you and your features, but they'll see your features kind of filtered through the energy you're giving off. Mm, so, yeah. it, and, and that's the case for a lot of people, you know, it's like there is, yeah so so your physical features kind of again that's how it's communicated in a certain way your own unique kind of beauty and part of it for me is honestly when you look around at the world I mean a lot of beautiful people that are in in modern term modern um definition a lot of them look a lot alike and it doesn't make it it is pleasing to the eye for sure it is beautiful in a way for sure I won't deny that but it's all the same Mm -hmm. and you know variety is the spice of life truly and I've started to crave like Hey, show me something different. Like, I'm I'm mm-hmm. like, this is beautiful, but it's like, I've only ever eaten chocolate. Okay. Chocolate's great. Yeah. Okay. But like, can I have some like super spicy stir fry or something? Can I, can I try yeah. something? How about just bread? Like, how about, you know, a carrot by itself or a carrot with peanut butter or a carrot with cheese? Like, I just want to try some different flavors. I want to see something different. Like I'm meant yeah. for much, much broader life than just chocolate as much as I love it. I, I can't actually live off of it. Um, oh. and, and that was part of what caused me to see to start to look at people differently and features and, and what is beautiful and what is attractive. And part of it too is um, we want the, the purpose of beauty is well, there's a couple different things, but ultimately we're drawn towards beauty. And it's still that union, we want to be united to it. Yeah. And people are so focused on their physical beauty, because their soul isn't there, you can't connect with them at all. You cannot experience any real beauty. They're very, in, a lot of people in that way are very insecure. I'm mean, gonna get not in a judgment way, but they are, they're insecure. Um, they're consumed with negativity, they're consumed with a very selfish mindset where you can't, there's nothing else, there's nothing inside to connect with.
0: What Mm -hmm.
1: you're actually looking for isn't even there. And that's why to me, beauty is someone who's experienced life deeply enough that they can offer you something, they can offer you connection, they can offer you an experience of God when you're suffering. They Mm -hmm. can offer you an example of what you have to reach for by accepting your suffering and realizing that it's separating you from all the things that no longer serve you so that you can move towards goodness. They're showing you what's on the other side of that (laughs) so that you Mm -hmm. have hope and motivation to move towards it. To me, that is like, it's showing you what's possible. I mean, that's the thing in in my life, like beautiful people are people where it's like you encounter them and it's like, oh my God, I didn't know that was even possible for a person to be like that. Well, if that's possible, I wanna be like that. And then all of a sudden your suffering has meaning if this can purify me and help me move in that direction of being that beautiful and that amazing, then well, I'm all in, let's go. You know, yeah. but we have to know it's possible. It has to be held out. And that to me is what I look for in people and what makes me say a person is beautiful.
0: Cause you see their beauty through them. You said beauty, it doesn't, beauty doesn't come to you. It comes through you. And yeah. I loved that so much. And that is so true. And so it makes me think about, well, the surface people don't let us see the beauty through them. They want to bring it to us in a presentation, in a pose, in a staging, in a script. And there's beauty, but we don't, it's like we almost forgot that we're supposed to see through that. There's more than just that, you know, there's more than what meets the eye. There's something deeper. And you talked about how um, beauty is a food for us. And I think we consume junk food (laughs) instead of, you know, feeding off of all of the different beauty that exists like you said the diversity is the space yeah. of life and we're supposed to feed off of all of the the appetizers presented to us and, and get nourishment yeah. from each of those different bites of it versus the junk food so we're, yeah. we're consuming the junk food and we're getting this this crap idea about what beauty is and I mean it it's ruining I mean it wrecks me once in a while every once in a while I'm like am I supposed to am I supposed to spend two hours to do my makeup for one picture? Are you guys, I mean, I get to that level where I'm like, sometimes I think we put too much energy because I mean, I have an appreciation for makeup. We'll, we'll say, right. And because that is an art to me. And and so many people I know are going, I'm showing you what's inside through this. And I'm like, do it. Show me what's inside of your heart. I want to see your color. But I think other times, People fail to understand that's an expression of what's inside. And so they're like, I'm just going to plaster on what I want you to see. It's pretty, you know, and then we don't <laughs> deal with this shit underneath.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I, and that's something I didn't, I couldn't grasp until recently that like that art or that, um, that like fashion and jewelry and makeup is an expression. I couldn't understand that until I listened to my heart long enough to realize. yeah, I, 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 when I'm even on my worst days, I'll still pick out a pair of earrings that matches how I feel. <laughs> like, yes. Be a happy, joyful day is today, and I'm a Egyptian goddess day is today, uh, I feel badass day. Like, what is yeah. today a day I need to remind myself that I'm a fire monster and put on a really badass pair of red earrings? Like, what do I need to remember about myself today? That's the kind of earrings I'm gonna wear that day, <laughs> you know. You know, I, I and like, I used to
0: be the same, I used to think. You know, there there have been phases in my life where I didn't think this way, but often I was always like, fashion is vapid and all of this materialism. But then I read, uh, read a book by Barry Taylor called Sex, God, and Rock and Roll, and he talked about basically a fashion theology, no joke, where he talked I'm about... Yeah, like we're Jesus and the disciples and and the people of God, they were very precise in particular about their clothing and what it represented. And we failed to see the symbolism in how people express themselves and their beliefs and their positions in their clothing. And, I mean, I can think back and I go, okay, well, that's why Black Panther Party did the way they did, right? I mean, that's why that's why the brown suits, the Nazis, th- that's why they did what they did. And I'm not trying to juxtapose them in any kind of comparison. But, I mean, that's why... Coco Chanel had, you know, decided to embody fashion the way that she did. And and sometimes we forget there's something deeper than just what's before you. Like we, we fail to ask about the questions about what motivated you to create this piece to wear this piece? What about it represents an emotion, a feeling? Because we often use our clothing to help express our emotions as well. And like I subconsciously, was subconsciously, <laughs> right? And I noticed this even in my own life too. I love color and I have color everywhere. And sometimes I'll stop and go, holy crap, I am wearing the same color of all of the clothing of all of the dishes that I use today because I have all these different colorful And I think sometimes we are injecting color into our lives subconsciously to get us to pay attention. And I think that's what fashion and art and music and dance is about, too. It's another way to look at what we've embodied inside and another way to look at what we want to express without using our words. Yeah,
1: well, it's a deeper expression. And I I agree, and for me as well, uh, color is, I I think of different colors as like different nutrients, because they all have a very, they express in terms of chakras, they're all represented by a different color. And I know, Mm -hmm. as I went through my journey, it was like my whole life, the only color I liked was green. And if you look at the chakra, like Mm -hmm. what the colors are, that's your heart chakra. And that's the only place I really connected, connected from my heart with my life, but every other part of me wasn't really woken up yet. And then as I went through my journey, it was like, I fell in love with a different color every like, I don't know, three or six months. Like there was a, p- a phase for a long time where it was like blue. I just wanted peace. Yeah. It was like, I just, blue was very peaceful. So I was like, just all about blue for a while. Even though growing up, I'd always been like, I like green better than blue. Everyone else was like blue, I like green. You know, I was like my way of, you know, being different. Um, and then I was like, no, blue is amazing. Cause I was like, it's just so peaceful. And then after a while it was purple and red. I loved those two for a while. And the last two were orange and yellow, which I had never liked and those are the, sh- that's your, your solar plexus, which is self-confidence. Yeah. Your sacral chakra, which is creativity and sexuality. And those yep. two things I've ever been tapped into my creativity or sexuality. And I had zero self-confidence my whole life. And those were the last parts of my journey. And those were the last colors I fell in love with. Mm. And now it kind of rotates depending on like what I need that day. <laughs> like, I love that. I love the color that I know I need a lot of today. And then, the, you know, it could be changed in a week or a day or an hour or whatever, but yeah. just kind of, you know, and to focus,
0: yeah, then to focus present energy and like what surrounds those chakras and what those chakras influence. I've been doing that a lot too lately and paying attention to just, okay, what areas are being messed up by my emotions and how do I free them? And like I said, I started doing, I started dance. I've always loved dancing. I mean, I've been drawn to dance since I was a little kid. I never danced with groups because I hated the way they danced and I didn't want to dance the way everyone else did. But dance and music has always just been my thing and what I, I lose myself in where I heal myself through. And I just, I realized in the last I'd say month or two, it's been three or four months. When I find myself getting bound up or, or, or upset or feeling restless, I'm like, girl, go dance, you know, and it's something I get the kids involved into. And, and I do it when I'm making dinner and my husband loves that. I mean, he just, he's like, you're so weird. You can just dance all over the place while you're cutting onions. But dancing really frees up so much of the clogged crap that we pick up from the day And I saw that you started doing dancing videos again. And I'm not, uh, the other night I recorded myself dancing, but I I haven't worked up the nerve to post it. But I was like, you know, I was watching myself in the playback and I was like trying to focus in on what parts I felt like I wanted to release more. And then to kind of lay that out, well, what is that in my chakra or where I've I've had excruciating back pain for the last week. And so the dancing has really just helped like, let me go let go of control of focusing on the pain and the tension in my back and my neck and just freeing myself and like I think I had mentioned you too I have recommended movement and dance with my clients when I'm advising them for erotic embodiment in that so many people are like dance what yoga huh you want me to what what you want me to dance with my husband like and I think dance is ancient. Like we've been using dance as a form of expression of love and community and gratitude. What, what happened? And so I I know we talked about it a little bit on the last episode, but bring back the story and just kind of share with how dance has really helped you embody and learn to heal yourself and, and, and what you've been learning from other people who I see so much feedback from your dancing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For me, and that's, yeah, that's the beautiful thing. It's really, it's been the stripping away of the ego is really how I found it. Because there's something, the desire to merge myself with a beat is so powerful that I'm willing to let go of anything that's in the way of that. And a lot of that's the egotistical, how do I look? What's this move like? you know, what is it look like or how is it be, how is it coming across? Is it, is it too sexual? Is it not sexual enough? Is it too sharp or too fast or not sharp enough? All the judgments that want to cloud my mind about myself Mm. and my movements and my whole life, they disappear because I want to be, I want that union. I want that experience, that ecstatic experience. And so I'm willing to let go. And that's why for me, recording myself is the greatest act of courage and opens me up because it helps me, to really embody the reality that I accept myself as I am. So whatever movement I make, whatever face I make, whether I'm standing still, whether it looks good or it looks weird or it's terrible or whatever. I don't, and that's the thing is it like the positive and the negative are pretty equal. It's like the, 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 the ego wants to attach to some extreme instead of just accepting what is as as it is and that's good because it's an expression of my heart and soul and and that's what dance has helped me to do in a way that that gets in touch with the physical because again we do i have done so much work within but accepting again that exterior body and the way that i appear and express and really radically saying i choose to show up to the world as who i am and part of it is for me i know who I am none of us do it's like you know yes. self, self-discovery and, and self-acceptance is a lifelong process but there's we have infinite potential so we're always discovering oh I like that I never thought I would like that like I didn't think I was that kind of person okay apparently I am all right cool I like that so but that's the that's the process it's, it's discovering what you who you are what and that's the thing is I believe that the the realist most basic part about us is our soul well, however you want to frame that but it's something spiritual something invisible and there's this incredible mystery of how it, how it lights up and enlivens our body because we're human beings. So there's, there's a, you know, inextricable connection between the two. But when I let my soul express itself through my body, I'm discovering, okay, who am I really? What wants to come out? How, how do I just instinctively move when I'm not trying to control myself? Yeah. And what does that look like? And what is it, how, what can I see being expressed? But really it's the experience of it that's been the most healing of me being willing to hit record and then just see what happens, <laughs> have zero agenda and be like, whatever happens happens and I'm not going to judge it one way or the other. And I have the courage to put myself out there knowing that some people will judge me, mm-hmm. whether positive or negative, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to pick it up, but I have had the courage to bear my soul and show it to the world and be like, yep, this is who I am.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: And it, it shed and find a way to, um, part of it too on a physiological in terms of physical healing is that, a lot of times so we have these stuck emotions, right? Emotions are energy in motion. Yeah. So we free up the stuck energy and allow it to be expressed and released through movement. And that's a literally like, in, I don't know all the science of it, but it makes a lot of sense. If it's energy, you embody it, it, re- it gets released. It gets burned off. It gets released as breath. It gets released as, you know, heat and energy expenditure. But, and that's a, it's a tactic used in many different modalities that if you have a strong emotion, um, and I have a, a, a dear friend who has a large family and they, they've they adopted a couple children and they use this with their kids for like integrating emotion. Like if you're in the car and you're yelling and you're frustrated or you're squirmy and mad because you're stuck in your seat, you know, clench up your fists and tighten all your muscles and let them go. And, you know, yell really loud for a minute and that, you know, or like do something to have that emotion get physically expressed through your body. So it's integrated. Yeah. And for me, that was part of with music. I mean, the the two things are both, are two most animalistic um, kind of in my experience. I think this is a Freudian thing. It was just something I discovered in myself. And then I was like, I think Freud talks about this, or sexuality and aggression, violence, you know, violent tendencies or aggression. And yeah. for me, dance, how I could express that in a way that was good and safe. Like you said, that's healthy. Because a lot of my dance is either, I mean, it, it's many different things, but at the beginning, there was a lot of like wanting to stomp and, and just like kind of almost like a tribal thing. And I was like, this is why people did war dances. Like, I was like, oh, that makes sense. Now the war dances, yeah. the war cries, like that's how you, be- you pull that fierce energy into yourself, but you harness it for good. So instead of that thing eating you alive inside while you sit there fuming, you're expressing your anger and the strong emotions and sharp movements and you can feel it. Like I would, I would slap my, my wrist together. And if you feel bone against bone, it's a sharp feeling, yeah. but it's like, yes, that's what I feel. And I'm letting myself feel that strength for myself owning that that's mine. I'm not going to let it you know, splatter onto somebody else because I've got this tension inside of me. Let me embody it, express it, harness it. And mm-hmm. for me, that was really powerful because I began to use that kind of violent energy instead of letting it get, get you know spilled over onto other people and snappiness and yelling and irritation and projection, I took it and turned that on myself and said, how am I being the problem here? If someone else is saying something that's triggering me, the, the trigger is that that's my issue. So let me turn that violent tendency on the belief inside of me or this pattern inside of me that needs to go. You're dead, I'm done with this. And, but I've embodied that so that I can use it for my own good to purify myself because the problem's here, it's not out there. If someone else is triggering, that's my problem, it's not theirs. If I'm reacting to it, that means that there's something in me me that needs healing. So I harnessed that energy and made it my own so that it wasn't just, it really helped me stop playing victim in my life and to step into my power and say, if if I have an issue, it's my issue and I need to take care of it. This is about me. It's not about them. I'm not going to blame other people or put myself as a victim to any aspect of my life ever. This is my life. I'm in charge of how I use it. And then the same thing with sexuality. It's like, instead of letting that get projected onto wanting people to pay attention to me, wanting people to like me, wanting people to be attracted to me, wanting, you know, whatever sexual attention or just attention in general, say I can can feel for myself how sexy and beautiful I am by experiencing my own movement and experiencing my body. And in that I'm enjoying myself in a way that is visceral and satisfying. And for me, again, I've probably said this before, like dance has almost always been more satisfying than sex for me sexually, like far more because it, I can actually get into it. I mean, again, it's just kind of circumstantial. I think part of how my life has gone, but me, <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't, I don't want to I out. do.
0: You know, yeah. But- it, it, it is a power, right? I mean, just those emotions create such a surge of like this kinetic energy inside and kinetic energy is movement. We have to let it move. And instead we You know, normally we shove it down and we, we repress shit and then it turns into other stuff. But I think about, well, toddlers are onto something, aren't they? Because they don't get their way and they're "Ah," all over the floor. (laughs) But I'm like, what are they doing? They're getting that shit out, right? They're like not going to hold on to it. They're going to throw their temper tantrum. They're going to stomp. They're going to slam a door. I mean, I, I remember slamming doors and I look back and I'm like, that's how you let your anger out. So you didn't hold on to it. You're moving that shit around. And then I think about Grey's Anatomy, right? Uh, I need to dance it out, Christina. They dance shit out. What were they dancing out? All of the icky emotions, right? Yeah. They were letting that stuff free. And what's beautiful about that is, so I was thinking about this kinetic idea because that's what it made me think of when I was watching your video. And then I also thought about kenosis, right? The the kinetic act of emptying yourself. And so Ooh. kinetic causes motion. Kenosis is an emptying. So we're causing emotion kinetically. And at the same time, we're needing, I'm, I'm thinking about when we're engaging in love acts, right? Not just sex, but we're we're emptying ourselves to allow the, mo- emo- the emotion and the motion to come into us, right? So we can, we can embrace it and embody it in a different way. And I think you said something about aggression and, um, and sexuality. Those are very primal natures to us. They're also so very closely laid next to each other. And what I love about kenosis, this whole idea of kenosis and emptying yourself, it, that combined with ero- the erotic is like this filtration system, right? Aggression can linger in this shadow area and it can turn into something dark and, and foul. But if we just apply a little bit of that kinetic energy with kenotic emptying of the self, we can, we can transform that into something erotic. I think that's why they lay so close together because eroticism is reckless and ravaging, but in such a beautiful, free, non-clinging sort of way. Right. Yes. So it's it's almost like you're desiring this collision with one another, um, instead of a
1: control. Yeah. And that's been the thing, like for me, dance is that, but also nature, like whenever I'm in a, in a particularly stuck place the only thing I always say to myself is I need to just throw myself against something that can take the force of me because yeah. I'm a pretty person and for me that's yourself my- on the bed <laughs> no like, like I go take like a 12 mile hike because I need oh. to get to the point where I'm like beyond my own capacity mm. for me that's the it's like let me go throw myself against something that could break me or that I could break my that, that I can't break but that could break me and it brings me back into reality. It's like, there's a groundedness to that of I know my limits and I've, I've exerted myself against this and it's exhausted me and it hasn't conquered me, but it's calmed me down. <laughs> you know,
0: like, I, I can't help but wonder if we looked at exercise differently in that regard in that it wasn't looking at exercises this, Oh, I got to go to the gym. Oh, I got to go do this, but, Oh, I now have a space and a moment for me to go release all of these emotions that I have, you know, compiled throughout the day. And if we looked at exercise is not just, um, you know, physical healing for our bodies, but mental and emotional healing. And, you know, to some regard, erotic healing as well, because, What is also erotic is that which is concerned with the self as well. It's not just a selfless oriented ideology. You have to include the self and, you know, what what would that change about people's mindsets about getting up to go work out if they also incorporated that idea that I'm freeing the repressed crap and I don't have to carry around so much emotional baggage with me if I go, beat it out on a, on a, on a punching bag or hike it out on a, you know, 12 mile journey or, or, or dance, you know, throw some music on and get down like Beyonce. I mean, that's what I did. So
1: <laughs> I love yoga because it requires such a mastery itself. because you want yes. it, I mean, the goal in these kind of, you know, powerful and somewhat impressive poses, but it requires an insane humbling because you have to practice it. And it's like, it doesn't look super hard and you try and you're like, Oh, this is way more difficult than I thought it was. But yes. there's, there's a mastery of self required to get that motivation and drive for that perfection or that intensity. You have to harness it to make yourself, it, harness it again and again and again to eventually achieve being able to, to hold a pose, you know, yes. and, and to embody that. The other thing I wanted to bring up that I learned and that was very, very healing for me about my dance practice is that I found that when I embodied the aggression or the sexuality and I, I stopped judging it as bad, and started saying, no, this is good. This is, and part of it again, as I was saying earlier, like we women tend to have a harder time um, it, like our practice needs to be more standing up for ourselves and saying, no, I have sexual desires. I have aggression. I can stand up for myself. I can say, yes, I want this. I want that. I don't want that. I don't want that. For yeah. us, that's much harder to do. Whereas men tend to do it automatically and aggressively it, it, yeah, generalization here, but the way the psyches work, that tends to be the, the overall general pattern. Men um, will
0: tell us what they want and women are not sure what they want or don't think they should say what they want. Basically. I hear you on that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they're not they don't feel justified in asking for what they want. Mm-hmm. They're that they'll be rejected if they do, which I think that's on both sides. But, um, and again, with I don't know, I would I, I need to, I haven't studied like actual sex in this, but I know for myself, like it seemed taboo for me to ever have any, like to claim, like, I want that. And any, even like, I think that person's attractive. I do, you know, like really assert that as, as in, in someone who maybe other people don't think is so or whatever, but like any sort of assertion of my own sexuality um, or owning my own beauty, whatever it is and being like, yeah, I'm hot in this way and I'm owning it. And it may not be what you think is hot and I don't give a fuck. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but anyways, beyond like, so really I'm seeing it as a good thing because it's part of being human and these things are, are necessary. And I've like, for me, I know as many women, for us in order for us to heal, and be able to offer the world all that we can, we have to have boundaries and able to say no and mm-hmm. have a feeling behind it. Because if you've embodied, if you've incorporated and embodied that shadow of that aggression, I'm sure you've talked to women, there's certain women you talk to and when they say no, you do not question them. You just yeah. do what they do. <laughs> it's like, yeah. and that's because they've owned it. So for me, I realized that these are good things. They, and ultimately they're, it's, it's power it's energy and it's power and it can be used for good or evil but it's not inherently evil. It's kind of neutral. And yeah. so from, I learned that though, how I learned that was when I had those emotions and I needed to let them out because they were causing dysfunction in my body and my psyche. So I started to dance and let them out and ex- and, and practice that radical self-acceptance and say, this is, it's at least neutral. It's just coming out of me. Like, it's not bad. As I was taught, it was bad my whole life. And the, how I really learned that though, was as soon as it finished expressing, and this was the crazy thing, I would go from like, really passionate, you know, sensual kind of sexual dance. And then I would find myself in this childlike little girl, giant smile on my face, like giddy, like a child. And I was like, my sexuality is innocent. Mm-hmm. I'm not inherently twisted. I'm inherently good in the world. convinced me that I was twisted <laughs> and I'm not. And that was, I think, the, one of the most healing things was like, of course I have the responsibility to use it in, in, in a responsible way but it's an innocent thing. It's a desire for union and play and it's entirely innocent. Play, and, again,
0: and that's the thing we forget play. to do too, play. We don't play anymore.
1: Uh, movement, for me, that's such a part of movement is the playful part. But kind of just to, to finish that thought, um, I think, again, because in, the, in general, the patriarchal thing, and again, it's not bad. It just doesn't apply to women in, in my It doesn't apply to my life and to a lot of women, not all, but a lot is because men tend to have more of that, um, the sexual desire They know what they want and they tend to go after it more aggressively in ways that are negative. For them, they really do end up like seeing it as a negative thing and they need to like harness it and rein it in. And for women it's, but then, but then they, they, they say that that's the case for all humans. And so I was told like, you need to rein, I'm like, rein what in? <laughs> like, what do you even, but I just ultimately came to see that, how I experienced that is that because I'm female, I'm bad because I'm attractive to men who have, you know, it's like, because I happen to be the object of their dysfunction, I'm now bad. Yeah. It's was, it was like, again, I don't exist for men's pleasure. My sexuality is good. Again, it brings life into this world, not just physically, but emotionally. Like when you embody that, you can give life to the people around you. And mm. that to me was just one of the most, and the same thing with aggression that both realizing like these things are, it can be used for good and they are inherently innocent You know, standing up for yourself is a right thing to do. It's an automatic, it should be an automatic, innocent thing to stand up for yourself when someone says something mean or they disrespect you. And it took me a long time to be able to to do that at all without having terror involved. Nonetheless, to have it be reflexive. And and that's been like the journey of healing is moving to a place where when someone says something to me, I can automatically stand up to myself for myself and say, no, that's not how it is. Not take it personally, but also be like, yeah, no, you're wrong. That's not Mm. how it is. And I'm buying it, (laughs) you know? So, so again, yeah, that was like think, remembering that,
0: that, that we, we don't have to give people permission to hurt us. Like we decide that.
1: And we don't have to take what people are saying. We can, yeah. we can find ways to say things where you leave the other person with what they said and you don't take it. Yeah. And a lot of, sometimes you don't take it and you don't say anything. Sometimes you don't take it by saying something somewhat neutral that just holds up the mirror and their bullshit kind of bounces back to them and you yeah. don't take it. But yeah. that's part of again, women. We we free up our energy so that we can be beacons of light and love, and have softness and and a space for people. Because I think when I when I've talked to two, I have a best friend. Two my two, both of my best friends actually love the feminine. One's a man, one's a woman, so different in a different way. But like my one friend, um, she just is loves the archetype of mother, and I've like I've never really I've never had that. I've never felt like I needed a mother. I don't know, like I what well, I don't for whatever reason that's not something I've been. I felt like no, I need the masculine, um, but. I've just met so many people who want to experience that softness of the feminine, um, whether it's in a sensual way, whether it's in a motherly way, but it's this softness and this space holding and this place where it's like, come in and rest. You're safe yeah. here. I accept you. There's rest and there's food and there's softness. I mean, think of breastfeeding. That's like one of the most amazing, yep. easy examples of that. Like come in my arms, I'll hold you. You get to, to drink from the most beautiful, soft thing in the world. Yeah. You know, the sweet, it is sweet breast milk is sweet you know it's like but it's this rest and that's that's just a great picture an embodiment of what women have to offer in it's one thing that the feminine has to offer in general mm-hmm. and um yeah all of
0: that And i think i just want to plug in jump in there yeah. i think that's why what jesus was doing was so radical because he offered rest i often I, i've read a lot of um uh ideas that suggest you know that the reason jesus was so radical as a man doing what he was doing is because he was speaking so much to the feminine And he was acting so much out of the feminine. And he did. He offered people rest. He offered people intimacy and a closeness that, I mean, yeah, you can go back to the Greek philosophers and Plato and Aristotle all believed that, you know, the man's relationship with another man, the brotherly relationship was, you know, so superior. But we saw a break in intimacy between men. And then Jesus comes along. And I think the Gnostic Gospels kind of reflect this to a more feminine Understanding of Jesus and a more feminine presentation and what he was doing, and that we are giving people space to find rest and and we're, we what our goal is is, you know, and sometimes it's like we don't realize it, but when we do that, that's serving others, right? We're, yes. we're, we're giving people space. That's what service is. Is just and it's also, emptying you know, yourself and giving space to other people.
1: You think? I mean, a lot of t- when people come to us, and I know you said you've had a lot of people come to you wanting to talk to you, what they're looking for is they want to be seen. They want a soft so there was a phrase that came to me in my healing. It's the name of a song by Sarah Bareilles um in her the musical she wrote. It's called The Soft Place. And it became like a a whole theme in my life, a soft place to land. And I did this Mm -hmm. whole visual of being an owl of this owl in a tree and creating this soft when I was in recovery like a it was like, and I made it very like little, it was like pink blankets and pillows and all this and like the, this, in the, this tree. And then this owl came flying in and I was like, oh, this is my heart. And I'm, I'm becoming a soft place to land for myself first. And then for others, because that's what people need in this world is rest. Because yes. <laughs> all, all people, we need rest. We need to know we'll be fed, we'll be protected, we'll be held in a warm, protective embrace and given a place where we can just be ourselves and we're loved and accepted as we are and given all that we need. And that's so much of what the feminine has to offer. And yeah, so I was saying like, again, our, by, by embodying our sexuality and owning that that's part of our sexuality as the feminine, that's such a huge part of us, developing that and accepting it for ourselves, experiencing our own softness so that we can offer it to others as, as only we can, because every woman has a different kind of softness to offer. We're all different. And then the same thing with the boundaries is, is you're putting up those boundaries because again, and if you think of it, it's very sexual, women are very juicy. Very juicy, very, very juicy. We're very fluid. Um, Our bodies are curvy. We're like water. And Mm. it's, but what happens is if we don't have boundaries, it's like we let everyone just suck the life out of us almost literally. And then we end up dry and brittle and angry and very not feminine and very not able to give anyone anything useful because everything is, everything is given with that bitter edge. You know, as mothers, we know how we've done this. We've had a day where we're overdrawn and we like feed everyone dinner with like spite as a side of like spite and bitterness and resentment. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, and that's the point of that aggression. Those boundaries are to protect our resources, to protect our softness. Yeah. And then we tap into our sexuality to help develop it and enhance it and experience it and discover how can I offer the world something good? And that's how, we, that's how we heal the world. That's how we provide these, these, you know, and you can see like there's women who, I, my favorite uh, motivational speaker is Lisa Nichols. And she's provided this community and this this foundation for thousands and thousands of people because she did it for herself first. I mean, Oprah Winfrey is another great example, but Lisa Nichols, I resonate with more. But so many women, they do this where they, they tap into themselves first and they open up. And it's like, because we women are so universal, we can open up like a, an enormous space for people through the internet now, like we can offer that space of you are welcome, you are safe, you are accepted as you are. And, and that I know for me, like was really healing in my journey, you know, super healing. And it's that that's part of it. Mean, and then the hope and the courage and all of that is for the purpose of being able to create that space where people can have their needs met. And in terms of the evil in the world, like my firm belief is that when people's needs are met, they are good. Yeah. And all that evil stems from our true needs not being met. Yeah. That's yeah it. that I mean
0: that is the bottom line of that oh well, well, I want to be respectful of your time and um yeah. I'm still I probably want to do this again. I just really love <laughs> listening to you and I love what you're doing with your work and I love how you're sharing your journey and I just it's so nice' it's like sometimes you like you throw it out in video and I'm like, I freaking needed this today like i I happened across it, and I'm like, I needed it, so um. You create so much space for other people and I just love it. And I I think that's what we're supposed to do. We're just space holders. that takes the pressure and demands of productivity out of the equation. And if we can just focus on the fact that we're just space holders for each other, that's how we serve each other. That's how we love each other. And I think that's what you're doing and showing. And I just appreciate it. And thank you again for sharing space with me. Yeah. Take care.